I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. My name is Sean Latimer. I will be your host for today. Our uh, normal host, Trevor, is taking a personal day, so we wish him the absolute best. I'm here with three of my colleagues, Daya Pranaz. Hello, everybody. Nathan Straw. Happy Friday, everyone. And Kenny Molina. Glad to be back. And today we're going to be talking about the Chinese food conundrum. Now, this was a pretty interesting article that Trevor wrote because at first, the first time I read it, the title of the article is the App- An Appetite for Risk. And I thought, we've talked about this a lot, right? Because when you're talking about financial planning or investment management, there is only a handful of things that you can really talk about. And what I noticed is the Chinese food conundrum is the age-old question, why am I hungry 15 minutes after eating Chinese food? And then at first I thought, oh, does that apply to everyone? And then I thought about the last few times I've had Chinese food. And I don't know if I ask while I'm still hungry, probably because I ate way too much. And so I never really have that problem. But it did remind me that just because something seems great at the time, it doesn't necessarily mean it's best for you. <clears throat> There's probably a few different ways you can unfold that. But the way that I looked at investment management is when things are going great, it's always really easy to say, why don't I have more of this? This looks good. And when things are going bad, I always get that first question at times where they say, why do we have this if it's not doing well? And the answer is the investment of the portfolio should be constructed based off your financial plan. You should understand what you own and why you own it and have expectations set for each. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. What, what did you guys think about it when you read the article? Uh, Dale, I'll, I'll start with you. Well, I think the concept of risk and the concept of, uh, well, just risk in general, I think is the singular most important concept when it comes to portfolio allocation, when it comes to uh, a client trying to go from point A to point B and and trying to reach their goals is they have to understand how much risk they're taking. And the idea that Trevor brought up is a good one. And it's very timely given, you know, the markets at new highs and people are looking at their equity performance and they're looking at their bond performance and they're saying, why do I own these bonds? These these bond things that are only up, you know, 0.1% or they're maybe slightly down and look how great these equities are doing. Why don't we reward the part of the portfolio that's doing better and punish the part of the portfolio that's doing worse? And uh, really, it kind of gets away uh, from the concept of diversification in general and and the understanding of why we own other asset classes to begin with. Uh, I, I just think it's really important, especially you guys as advisors uh, have, have a really important uh, obligation to the clients to get them to really understand uh, risk appropriately and understand why it may not be the right mindset to performance chase and, and the, uh, the pitfalls behind performance chasing. Uh, I, I think uh, I think in order to really get a client to understand the plan that we're putting together, together for them, they have to understand their portfolio compositions and the understanding of risk and the understanding of diversification and the understanding of past performance does not lead to is not always an indication of uh, future performance is uh, is a really important concept. And I, I'm interested in how you guys discuss that with clients. Yeah, I think it's a great point that you made, Sean, too, about how people think about, you know, portfolio management. It's like, why aren't we moving with the ebb and flows fully, whether it's like an up day or a down day, um, or going to bonds or all into equity? And like, like, you know, I think a lot of times clients think that asset managers have this um, secret knowledge, and you know, uh, as to the perfect formula of when to be fully in the market or fully out or go fully into cash. Um, and they they do away with uh, one of our biggest responsibilities, you know, in their head, which is to maintain 
a proper asset allocation for them long term, have a disciplined, sound approach to maintaining all the levels of risk in the portfolio. Um, So kind of crafting that message and having um, just regular people understand uh, how these pieces work, I think is really essential uh, when it comes to understanding, um, you know, uh, you know, chasing risk or, or, or going back into a risk off assets. So um, a lot of, you know, what we do as advisors is, is shaping the conversation, setting up expectations. And, and yeah, talking about our active management when it comes to equity selection, um, you know, portfolio management, but also making sure they understand that we also have a very disciplined approach when it comes to making sure all risk levels are appropriate for everyone. So That's a good point. And a couple things you said is uh, the thing that stuck out the most is over time. Because if you take anything in a vacuum, a short sample size, it's easy to poke holes in it and say, well, why did we do this? Or why did we do that? And it, anyone can look at a portfolio and say, oh, this has gone up this much and this has stayed the same. Well, why don't we own more of that? That's a pretty simple question. And I, I would guess that uh, if you operated a business and one product sold more than another, you may just ask a simple question. Well, why don't you guys sell more of that? That's a better product, right? It doesn't necessarily mean it's true. There are a lot of momentum trading algorithms out there that do not necessarily work because of the unpredictability of the market and how fast it moves. You can find yourself on the wrong side of the trade. Uh, this is why I'm glad that we have Day and Kenny and also Nate on the call because Day and Kenny construct portfolios for clients. And so they're definitely more on the quantitative side of constructing this. And then Nathan and I, we're client facing. So we do get these questions often and we have to kind of be able to uh, navigate through those uh, on a day-to-day basis. So K- Kenny, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think obviously I don't envy you guys' position sometimes having, as Nate said, uh, trying to explain some of these things to uh, clients who don't exist in a vacuum, uh, unfortunately, because even then maybe you could control some things. But, uh, you know, the uh, article makes a pretty good point. It looks like 13 of the last 16 months have been positive performance. So you're going to have some of these biases inherent in both investors and humans, a recency being one of these big ones that drives maybe these conversations, where, as you mentioned, why aren't we buying something that has been high flying? And why do I have these bonds? Uh, And as Dea mentioned, you know, uh, risk and, and volatility are inherently tied together. And uh, if for uh, a second you were to entertain, okay, let's do that, you're not only risking them up, you're also increasing the volatility. And sure, that feels great when the markets are doing nothing but going up. But that same client is going to come back to you and say, oh, the market's down 30%. Why am I down 30%? Oh, remember that morning bonds will let go? That's what has allowed your portfolio to ride the volatility. We're not saying that's a capital destruction. Obviously, in those situations, don't sell. Don't realize those losses. But that's what that situation could lead to, right? If not, uh, if the client portfolio is not allocated prudently. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting is, is there's a lack of understanding that uh, different asset classes, uh, their, their prices are cyclical. And uh, a lot of times the greatest risk for a particular asset class, and we could say equities, is the fact that it's been going up for a really long time. There's a lot of complacency and everybody just has this, there's this sentiment that the stock market is going to keep going up. That, that generally means that there's not too many buyers left in the market. And if there's not too many buyers left, then all of a sudden the, the, price, uh, the price is the input in the cyclicality. So when things get too expensive, a lot of the reasons they go down is because they got too expensive. So you have to understand that uh, you know, the broader sentiment affects, uh, affects the risk. And a lot of times there will be more risk just because 
a lot of people are thinking the same thing and they're like, oh, let's just keep buying and keep buying and keep buying. And then all of a sudden things are overpriced and then they start to revert. So, you know, and uh, like Nate mentioned, nobody knows when it's going to happen. Nobody knows if it's going to happen next month or the month after. Nobody nobody really knows. And our uh, defense against not knowing is uh, constructing portfolios with different asset classes that behave differently. So, yeah, that's a good point. And as you were saying that, I, I was just I had this thought that we live in an era where um, there's tons of information in our face all the time. And uh, the, the media, the, their job is to create excitement. Um, and normally, unfortunately, it's towards the negative news. Because if things were rainbows and butterflies, uh, you probably wouldn't turn on the news to see what's going on. But if something is scary or death or destruction or uh, you need to watch out for this, you're probably going to tune in and, and make sure that you're covering your bases. Well, when there are more buyers than sellers in the market, it probably doesn't take a lot of negative news for some of those prices to revert because that means new sellers will be introduced. But then if you really think about it, if there's always bad news in our faces on Twitter or on the news, it's probably hard to differentiate what's serious and what's not. And that's what your point is, Day, or what I'm uh, perceiving is it's unpredictable because if there's always bad news out there, how do you know what's really going to make a, a huge negative impact on your plan? Nate, it looks like you want to say something. Well, yeah, if it's not the media, it could be, you know, over a cocktail with your, your friends, you know, and it's, it's comparing... Uh, maybe some sources of returns that they're getting, or you're seeing something on the news. And I think, you know, I've heard it said in life, you know, comparison uh, is a thief of joy. And I think in, in, in it, from investor's shoes, comparison can be a thief of their returns. Um, because that, you know, as you're consuming information from the media, your friends, your inner circles, you're wanting to start to, oh, I can get, you know, I can get better. I can maybe uh, get an extra 5%. This guy's doing something else. And it starts to really push you into areas outside of what's the most important thing, which is um, your unique situation and crafting everything uh, to you because everyone's in a different um, position as an investor, has different goals. Also, too, a lot of times when when I find um, those situations coming up, um, they don't get the other side of the story. Uh, and there's more behind uh, you know those, those figures in those conversations or um, things aren't always in their context. So um, I think uh, that's always a temptation, uh, luring investors away into some dangerous waters. Absolutely. That's a really good point. And what we've been talking about a lot today is that the, the investment purposes of having fixed income or equities, but uh, we haven't really talked about the purpose of why that's important in a financial plan. Um, yes, it is true that if there is a large correction and you do have some of that dry powder, rebalancing and rotating those funds into lower price securities is a benefit. But it's also the original goal was to have these reserves tied to a financial plan for a reason, whether that's you create uh, liquidity where an upcoming expense might happen and you need that money available and you don't want to have to sell stocks at depressed values. If you need that uh, access to that money to be somewhat stable with a low standard deviation and ultimately it's an emergency reserve because right when you do think you have everything planned out, that's when life happens, right? That's when you lose that job. That's when that unexpected health expense comes up and the first thing you look at is, okay, how am I going to pay for this? And if market, let's say it's perfect storm, markets are in a, uh, a March 2020 moment and equities are depressed and you say, wow, maybe I shouldn't have had all that Chinese food. Maybe I shouldn't have had 100% stocks, even though they looked really good at the time, because now I'm in a tough position of what do I sell and what do I hold on to? But uh, I, what do you guys think when you hear that? I, I think uh, it, it makes me uh, just reiterates in my mind how important a, a portfolio approach is. 
how important it is to own uh, assets that behave differently. And uh, I, it's interesting because, uh, you know, obviously uh, everybody knows that stocks over the long run outperform, uh, you know, every other asset class. And when clients say to themselves, and maybe you, you guys don't have clients asking this, when they say, look, if stocks are the better asset class of the long term, then why don't I just put all my money in stocks? And, and what, what, is your answer? what is your answer to that? Well, two reasons. One, because if you do look at some of the historical context, having a diversified portfolio does outperform over time. And I think it's through some of the active management of being able to rotate and balance, rebalance during opportune times. But ultimately, most people who are trying to accomplish something in their financial plan, it's not to build the most successful, highest returning case study in perpetuity. So yes, maybe owning stocks in perpetuity would give the, the best outcome in the future. And maybe if that portion of someone's portfolio, that's what it should be. And that's why you design it that way. But for most people who are trying to save for retirement, pay for their kid's college, you know, uh, help their kids pay for a wedding, and maybe buy a second home, when you look at the drill down of the financial plan, it's not, hey, I'm trying to maximize the absolute returns. It's how do I accomplish my goals within my risk tolerance without, so I can stay the course? Because that same person who's 100% equities, it's funny, you will meet people who say, I've been investing in the market for 30 years, I'm comfortable with volatility. And then the first time there's a 10% correction, they will call you three times that day and ask, what are we going to do? <laughs> and you kind of sit there and laugh to yourself because you're wondering, this can't be the same person, right? And we've seen it the opposite where they say, hey, why do I own the, this fixed income? Why do I own these bonds? They are only returning 2% this year. I want more stocks. And we have emails from that same person in March of last year that said, I can't stomach this. We need to change something. And so you really do have to know your audience and you have to be able to create a plan that, that you know they're going to stick with. Yeah, to your point where you talked about, um, you know, these balanced portfolios outperforming over time. Uh, that kind of reminds me, I think it was a Fidelity study. They essentially looked at, uh, I think it was 401k plans that uh, who kind of outperformed the long run. Essentially, it was people that just, I think they like forgot their pastors or something because <laughs> so they wouldn't touch it, right? So essentially, you can kind of uh, correlate this back to people who are going to be calling you and want to jump in and risk up when things have been going up and maybe, you know, go back to being defensive when the market's downtrending. Uh, I think the reason why these balanced portfolios would outperform over the long run is because it allows them to stay the course, right? And if they're going to be jumping in and out of stuff because they can't stomach the volatility or it's not properly tailored to maybe their objectives, uh, that's what kind of causes you over the long run to not get the same returns as say, the index you probably would have liked to have been invested in, right? Uh, so, you know, the, the uh, article talks about those those vegetables. No one wants to add more vegetables to their plate. And, you know, uh, theoretically, no one should just have all vegetables, right? You, you kind of want to uh, mix up the variety there a bit. But you do need whatever it's going to take for you to be able to go to sleep, regardless of what the market is doing. So there's always going to be a portion that you need to be able to have some kind of upside capture. So your equities, maybe some alternatives. And then that money that, as you mentioned, you're not going to have to sell during distressed times. And it's going to get you through that um, volatility in the markets. Yeah, ab absolutely. It's uh, I think I think that's an interesting example. Um, it really the investing, what 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 we do is uh, maybe to an outsider it seem like an exercise in just counter intuition. It's it's very much so being contrary and understanding that, uh, oh, you know, understanding how your intuition and what your knee jerk reaction, uh, all the psychological, you know, pitfalls that we may have uh, in us as people that uh, maybe help us get through life. Uh, in an excellent way, but when it's applied to investing, when it's applied to an area of uncertainty, can, can maybe lead us astray. And what and and the more important tool that we have in our arsenal is is really data and looking at historical data and really interpreting all that correctly in a in a very uh, dis, dispassionate way. 
and being able putting a plan together and then not being uh, staying the course no matter what the current environment might be. And, uh, you know, I think we've all brought up some really great points uh, regarding, you know, investor uh, investor behavior. And it's, it's important to realize that, uh, you know, going back to the cycles thing earlier, there forever, as, as long as markets exist, there will always be fear and greed. And when there's intense fear, uh, the opposite of all this applies. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about people want to reward, reward asset classes that keep going up. It's the other way around when asset classes are going down. When equities are down 20 or 30 percent, people are afraid. They want to sell all their equities, and that's precisely the moment people need to be buying. Uh, you know, there's that the great Warren Buffett quote where uh, you have to be greedy when people are fearful, and fearful when people are greedy. I think that uh, that that tool in your arsenal or that sentiment, a really a really deep understanding of why that's true, uh, enables you to put together portfolios properly. So, so uh, I, th- I think one of the most important things is understanding that your intuition, your gut feel. A lot of these things you uh, that help you make decisions may be precisely uh, the things that that make you make absolutely terrible decisions in in the investing world. Yeah, great point. I think um, you know David talked a lot about this in the beginning of his book um, in terms of behavioral management and it being one of the biggest uh, in, in you know factors uh, as results to of results to investment management. Um, and, and that really pairs well with this idea of, you know, um, emotional management, because a lot of these decisions, I mean, we have the privilege of working with very intelligent people in the industry and very intelligent clients. But I would say, generally speaking, we have these conversations that are driven from, from some emotion. Mm. And emotion, um, they make a really good uh, passenger in terms of a guide sometimes, but they don't make the best driver. And I think, you know... Uh, and what we do, um, you really want to take a step back and, and you know, ask yourself, who is the driver in this situation? Um, or do I want to be the driver in this situation? Um, so, uh, yeah. Following up to Dave's point where he said, uh, you know, you got to be greedy when people are fearful. Uh, I think that's, uh, in theory, something that we maybe understand as capital, you know, uh, capital allocators. But I think a client, that's the last thing they're thinking. You know, you know as, as he said, you know, people try to reward things in the good time and then punish them when they're, you know, uh, going down. And I think if an investor can at a minimum, at least just not sell and realize the losses, even if they forego the sale, right, which they sh- shouldn't and probably want to, you know, buy equities at depressed prices. But if they can at least do the not do the next capital sin, which is realize massive capital losses during broad market downturns, even that is going to be enough for their portfolios to recover and, and kind of hopefully get them back on track. Yeah. So two things I heard is the the first is you can't compare vegetables to the main course, right? They're, maybe there's sometimes they're good, maybe there's sometimes bad, but Never you definitely really can't compare because they're different, right? And the the thought is the same applies in investment management. If you look at the way that most people pick investments for their 401k, they look down the lineup and it may show some sort of uh, three-year, five-year, 10-year historical return, and they look at which one's done the best <laughs> or what, how many stars it has, and they go, well, I'd be a sucker if I didn't pick the best one, right? Or maybe I shouldn't put all my eggs in one basket. I'll pick the three best ones. <laughs> but realistically, that just means those were the three most expensive things. And that does not mean that's going to continue to do well. So the other thing I heard is if you are looking at two different types of investments, vegetables and Chinese food or steak or whatever you want to call it, 
You can't compare them because they are different. The same thing applies in the investment world. You cannot look at your portfolio and say, hey, this has gone up. It's doing great. But this has stayed the same. We need to change this or we need to sell that. Because the goal of the investment portfolio was to design it so that way you would stick to the plan the entire time and not go and tinker and not try and increase things because that's when people make mistakes. And as Nate said, it's impossible not to get emotional about your own money. Do you know why? Because this isn't just how do we maximize the returns over the course of 30 years. This is the money that's supposed to take care of all those important things, right? Like retirement, like paying for a wedding, paying for your kid's college. It's very different if I say, hey, your portfolio didn't have uh, as great of returns as your neighbor, Bob. You probably would say, oh, okay, that's not good. I I wish I did. But it's very different if I said, hey, you saved enough to accomplish all your goals in retirement. And now you guys are able to go buy that second house and go on that vacation and do this and do that. You probably say, oh. Well, then I don't really care what Bob's returns were. I did everything that I needed. So I think that that's something that we should keep in mind. Um, I'm looking at a lot of shaking heads. Do you guys have anything else to add before we go into this wonderful weekend? I think that was perfect, perfectly summed up. Uh, it, getting clients and listeners to think about their portfolio in terms of a plan and not wh- how much it did, wh- what percentage was up last week you know, compared to some other asset class or, or uh, com- compared to their neighbor. I, I think that that's... Uh, that's one of the most important things that we do here. Yeah. You know, you, you don't want to be, you know, picking up pennies off a railroad track, you know, chasing some some returns that you may have heard about that, uh, you know, may not be even true to begin with. Um, but, but really, it's a good reminder to um, stick to what's most important, which are, uh, you know, your goals uh, and those big life events that are ahead of you. So. Yeah, well said. Um, the way that Sean presented earlier and that I think Trevor finished his article with is it's not just uh, the fact that the markets have volatility or there's going to be events in life that are going to affect markets, but you're going to have your own idiosyncratic events where, sure, you sat down with your financial uh, advisor, you talked about the second house, maybe the wedding, the college plan, but, you know, who knows, maybe uh, five years down the line, you you know, your your kids have a kid and now there's there's whole new plans. And you have to be able to take consideration to build in flexibility into your portfolio. And if you're all in on something and the market's going down, you've, you've essentially let go of, of, of what control you had there. So uh, building in these protections not only get you to your goals uh, within what you had the conversation with, but also allow you to make the small adjustments that actually matter and that should not be either fear or greed driven. Very good. Well, we will wrap it up there. Uh, we will ask you to rate and review the podcast. Uh, we will also ask you to reach out with any questions to Tom at thebonsongroup.com. You can address it to me, Sean, uh, Dea, Nate, or Kenny, or Trevor. And we'd be happy to answer your questions. And uh, we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts on money. money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. 
The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.